Welcome to the Coach Speak Podcast with Cody Allsup. Today will be a first ever um, deal where we're going to have two people on here to discuss infield. One will be Coach James Donahue from MUW. He serves as the infield and hitting coach at, at the W. And the other is Bart Butler. Um, I met Bart uh, last summer coaching with East Coast, and I was really impressed by his knowledge, and I wanted to get him on here as well. So, uh, Bart, hey, man, how you doing? Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the uh, to the yeah, uh, listeners. Man, thanks for having me. Uh, first off, um, an honor to be here. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm Bart Butler. I coach uh, at Central High School in Phoenix City. Um, I dabble in a little bit of everything, mostly infield um, and hitting. It's my two main focuses now. Uh, I've done outfield in the past. Um, so, but my passion is infield. I love coaching infield. Um, and I love coaching hitting. So those are my two main things. Um, I've been, this is my sixth year. just finished up my sixth year, or shortened year at Central. Uh, and I've done everything from seventh and eighth grade, ninth grade. And this is, uh, just got done my third year of varsity. Um, so before that, I was, uh, I was at Sweetwater in Alabama for a year. And then, um, of Marengo Academy for two years. Um, and then, uh, I played uh, two years at Central Alabama and then two years at Shorter University. So nice. that's about it, man. That's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. I appreciate it, and I'm glad to have you on here and also glad to have Coach Donahue back on here. And I know both of you guys are kind of – obviously you both do hitting as well, but we haven't done an infield podcast. I know there's a lot of people out there that want to learn more about the infield, including me, and uh, I'm fired up to learn from you guys today. So – um, the first thing we're going to dive into is, uh, throwing progressions. Um, uh, this is something that, uh, I saw coach Donahue bring in a throwing progression to our infielders this year. And to be honest with you, I can't even remember if we had a uh, throwing error in the infield. I know we didn't get to play, but 11 games, but I, I thought that it really helped our infielders. And I kind of want you to go ahead and dive into that, James. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me back on. Um, first, first podcast went real well, but definitely I want to talk about the, uh, the throwing progression that we started at because a lot of times when I started coaching younger kids, it was just the basic go down the line, get your arms loose and then let's get ready for practice. But as far as, as throwing goes, um, such a vital part of the game, such a vital part of the infield. Um, so anytime we do anything at practice, you want to have it, you want to do it with a purpose. You want to, you want to have an idea behind it or a concept. So. What we basically did was we we made it that we wanted to be the best catch players in Mississippi. Uh, we wanted to be able to catch the ball well. We wanted to be able to transfer the ball well, and then we wanted to be able to throw the ball well. And especially at you know the higher levels, um, the game gives you situations where you're going to have to throw over the top, and you're going to have to throw from a low quarter slot or maybe even a sidearm. Um, so that was something that I, I brought up to the guys from from day one is that. We want to be the best catch players and the best throwers in Mississippi. So it's not just to get down the line, you know, swing your arm around, you know, dart the ball from, you know, 10 feet away. There's kind of a, a sense behind it. There's kind of a, a pathway to it. Um, so what we, we basically do is we work on our transfers to get our wrists and hands loose. Um, then we go from, you know, regular throws, regular transfers. And then we add some footwork into it. And from the footwork patterns – we go into different slots where guys are going to, you know, need to throw from and And, you know, probably, you know, 50% of the time, a guy's going to have to throw with his feet off balance. Or he's going to have to throw from a different arm slot. Um, so 
So the throwing program kind of dictates where you're gonna you're gonna basically see in the game. And um, I'm a big believer in throwing on the run. And you know, there's certain times you have to set your feet and make a good throw, but other times you're gonna have to to rush one. So you got to be ready for for those particular moments and whatnot. Better place to do it is when you're you're playing catch before before practice even starts. So that was that was something big I learned from a lot of other guys, and I, I believe it's helped us help not this year's team, but even teams in the past I've coached, even at the high school level. And, and guys love throwing on the run. It's a, it's just an added way to have some fun too. For sure, man. And um, I saw it have a big difference in our infielders this year. So Bart, um, I'm gonna let you add to that and talk maybe a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, we, we do stuff that's kind of similar. You know, we always work um sorry, there's a line right over me. But uh, when we're coming, when we're going out, we're going to work either double play footwork. We're going to always work our footwork going out. We'll long toss, you know, we get out past, you know, 90 feet or so. We're going to work relay footwork and stuff like that. And then coming in, our last 10 throws, we basically work clock. So we go over the top and then just continue to go down and see how far we can go. Um, Now, something I started – a few years ago, I got a, I had a friend of mine go watch Clemson practice, and I got it from Monty Lee, or he got it from Monty Lee, and he gave it to me. So I would take, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, and um, this really helped us a lot. You would have three first basemen. So you, the guy, you're, you have one first baseman working with you, your third baseman. He's up in front of the bag, you know, and you, we put nets around in front of him for safety. Um, then you got your guy that's working with the shortstop. He, He's on the back, and then you got a guy working with second base. He's behind the back. All right, so what we would do is we told them, hey, you got 15 minutes. You make every possible throw you're going to make in a game. So your third baseman is, you know, the, the routine play where he can catch, boom. Then the next one, he's going backhand. Um, then forehand, forehand spin, you know, slow rollers. Um now, the, what the first baseman's going to do is he's going to catch it and immediately roll himself a bunt, like a hard charge. We were trying to get that guy out at third, and he's going to make that throw. The first baseman's rotate every five minutes. Now, as the infielders, besides the first baseman, all they're doing is working every throw. Throws in the hole, diving plays, slow rollers, everything, you know. And then the, the second first baseman, He's catching it, clearing himself like a lefty just got uh, picked off a runner, making that throw to a uh, second. And then the third, third first baseman who is working with the second baseman is making your double play throws. Any throw you would make, um, your back hands, your your footwork on that, the ball that's that uh, forehand you catch on the bag and you throw in tag. So that was a good way to just get take ten or fifteen minutes and. Because I, uh, I I got this from Kai Carrera. I never want a player to come to me and say, "Hey, we never worked on that." So we're gonna we're gonna make sure that you work on every single throw, all right? Because um, like like Coach uh, Donahue was saying, man, the throwing and catching is probably the most important thing in the infield by far. Because you got to catch, you got to get them out, all right? So we want to be like you said, we want to be the best throw and catch team in the state. Um, because th- those are areas I feel like you can control. You know, a ball hits a rock and takes a bad hop, you can't control that. But you can control practice enough where you're able to throw off balance and make good, consistent throws. 
Uh, that's good stuff, man. And that's uh, that's a very creative way and efficient way, in my opinion, to um, get some work done. And um, the other thing that I would add with that to that is, uh, you, I can go to a high school game and I can tell which teams value the throwing the baseball. You know, and, and it and it wins games at, at all levels: high school, junior high, college, you name it. Being able to throw and catch the baseball, as simple as it sounds wins and loses games and uh, the kids are only going to value it as much as the coaching staff does and I, I think that that's very important for coaches to remember that if you value the, your throwing program every day that the kids will start valuing it and you'll see results I agree 100% agree absolutely and like coach Butler you said a lot of stuff that you know Kai Correa mentions is it's some great stuff. You kind of put a new outlook and how much you really can do during your practice times. So I've, I've got a lot of stuff from him and then incorporate a lot, but he's definitely as, as up the infield game, you know, as a, as a fraternity. It was, it was really nice to hear some of his stuff. Yeah. He's a, I don't know if you can find it anymore. His, now the last presentation he did with Tucker, um, obviously was great, but if you can find the one he did on the expo stage and, um, in Anaheim a few years ago before that. I mean, I had a friend of mine share it with me, and it really just changed the way I thought about um, infield play. Yes, yes. I remember. Yeah, that presentation was it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, so, and another thing that, and I don't know if you guys had the same experience when you were in high school, but I, I just thought about this, and I wanted to talk about it. Uh when I was in high school, if we tried to throw from sidearm, three-quarter slots and stuff, it was almost like that was discouraged by our coaches, and we weren't supposed to practice it. But then you get in the games, and especially guys like a middle infielder or even a guy at third base like me, I mean, I'm going to have to throw throw on the run and stuff like that. So in my opinion, it is, I can't stress it enough that it is very, very important to practice that because if you don't do it in practice, once game time comes, you're not going to be able to do it. Some, I think it was just knowledge-based. Coaches hadn't really thought about it before. You see guys like this scale, you know, coming up when I was when I was coming up, they just made those plays. And I think a lot of coaches at the time just thought, well, hey, that guy's just a freak. Um, but if you teach it, like one thing that I really think is, you know, if I'm going to throw over the top, I've got that, you know, 90 degree and everything's even with the shoulder. Well, I don't do anything different. When I throw down here, because if I throw like this, I know we're on a podcast, so it's hard to see, but if I throw like this with no side bend, the ball's going to tail. But if I can get down here and throw, that ball's going to stay true, and it's just an easier, quicker way to get rid of the ball, and which is what we got to do on plays in the infield. For sure. Do you have anything to add to that, Coach uh, Donahue? No, I, I I believe it's for any, any younger coaches or of the younger generation when, um, you know, they say, please set your feet. Um, make sure you throw from this slot every time. I just wanted to let them know that it's okay for younger kids to fail when they're making those throws on the runner. It's okay for them to sail a ball because as they grow older and as they progress, they're going to learn and understand that certain players are going to have to, you're going to have to make those throws. So I, I, I'm a big believer in if you're playing catch with a younger kid, throw some, make some of those throws. You tell the kid, hey, watch what I do, and then they can imitate you because, you know, kids are uh, just as much as they like to learn visually they like to learn you know you know 
by speaking or auditory learners. So if you tell them what needs to be done and then you show them what needs to be done, I think it's easier on the kid. Um, having a coach that can, you know, can do it too helps a little bit. So um, for, for the, any those younger coaches out there or, or coaching youth level, um, let those kids, let, let, it, let them chuck it around. Let it fly a little bit from all different arm slots. And just to piggyback off that, you you take a you know a ten, eleven, twelve year old, and you tell them to throw from from a, a lower arm slot on the run. Besides it, you know if they can do it, that's great. But that's a lot of fun, you know. Making a play on the run like that is a whole lot of fun, and it, it gets you know um, it beats the monotony out of uh, some practice where you just catch, shuffle, shuffle, throw. You know, catch, shuffle, shuffle, throw at the top. You can add any variety, like Coach Donnie was saying, and it's a very important skill that at some point, if they want to progress, they're going to have to learn. So that's a great point, Coach. For sure. And uh, like I said, I just want to stress to to the coaches out there listening to this that maybe haven't bought into these beliefs that that they're very important to really key in on your throwing um, because throwing wins and loses games, and you're not always going to be able, like they have said, to uh, throw from the exact same arm slot every time. So it's very important to practice throws on the run as well. And uh, um, like I said, throwing and catching wins and loses games. So uh, the next thing I want to dive into um, is just the mindset that you want an infielder to have. If you want to go ahead and dive, one of y'all want to dive into that. It doesn't matter who. Uh, I'll I'll start. uh... It's, uh, the mindset of, of an infielder, it it's basically back to give me the baseball. I, I want the baseball. Um, not often is that is that talked about, is it mentioned, and, and there's, I don't know, certain ways to prepare for it. It's just kind of instilling belief in your infielders that, hey, you can make the play. You want the ball to be hit to you because, let's be honest, there's, we've all seen a kid who is in, you know, an all-American practice player. He's making backhand dives. He's He's glove flipping. He's he's throwing the ball behind his back. He's coming through balls, throwing it off balance. And when it gets to the game, he kind of plays on his heels. So um, instilling a belief and a confidence in each kid before you step on the field, after practice, before a game, after a game, that they they can do this. They can come and get the baseball. And one thing we talked about at the W is how prepared are you? Did you go 100% on every single ground ball that you got? Did you get the right footwork to every single ball that you got did you did you throw the ball at a hundred percent when it was necessary um i think that was something that will help an infielder in the long run regardless of the drills you give them um regardless of the practice plan you have set out for them um regardless what you tell them to read if you don't instill belief in your player then then you know all those drills you do is is it's it's to the back burner so i believe that that giving them the belief and preparing them. Like one time this year, I know our, our feeling percentage last year, I believe was, or two years ago when, you know, I wasn't there, I think it was nine, five, five or something like that. So I, I took the guys together. I said, guys, why did we get nine, five? Why, why can't we get nine, five, six or nine, five, seven? That those two errors could have been those two times at practice. You weren't, you know, you didn't give it a hundred percent. So, um, I think I think a mindset plays a, a big part in it. And just one more example before I let Coach, you know, Butler take it is um, I know a game before um, we had a road trip to Atlanta. I gave the infielders a sheet, 
and it was nothing to do with any mechanics, any drill work. It was just all mindset stuff, all 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 ways to play with your mind and trick your mind and into believing that you're going to make the play. And I think we had two errors in four games, and those two errors might have been, you know, I a believe they were pitch- here or uh, I believe they were our pitchers. <laughs> no, maybe maybe they were the pitchers. But yeah, that's right. But uh, they played awesome, and that's not saying that I have the guru mindset of an infielder. I think that just giving them the belief in that little piece of paper I gave them, you know, I think that helped a lot. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, you got to breed confidence. And I think, you know, preparation is going to breed that confidence. So if they can go into a game knowing, hey, man, we've, you're prepared. You have done every, we've done everything we could. There's not going to be a play you don't see, you know, then, then that's going to breed that confidence. And, 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 Infielders is a lot like hitting in that aspect is, you know, everybody's seen the players that once they make an error, man, you better get them out. Because if you don't, they're going to make three or four more. It's it's always play the next play. Um, a big thing that I, that I, I especially emphasize with two outs is, um, I, I used to say, protect the scoreboard. Especially with a runner on second and especially with two outs, we're going to protect the scoreboard. And all that means is no matter what, Unless they get a line drive or a fly ball in the outfield, there's a ball on the ground. We're keeping it in the infield by any means necessary. And, you know, you, you play with that mindset. You play with that aggressiveness. And you dive a ball and you knock it down. And that guy around third too quick, you still an out. Um, always, that's another thing I always said is, and we're looking for two to three outs every game that we can steal. Because if we get 21 outs in high school and the other team gets 18, we got a better chance to win. That means us throwing behind runners, you know, always looking for the next out, you know, things like that. But that's a big thing. Protect the scoreboard, play all out. And, and like Coach was saying, just breathe, build that confidence in them. And if they can do that, they go out there with 100% confidence in their abilities. And that, that's a big, big part of the puzzle right there. Hey, Coach, also, can I add one thing to yes. that? Yes, please do. Well, first off, Coach, Butler, I just I just wrote that in my notebook. Protect the scoreboard. I think that's awesome. I think I'm going to start using that from now. Not I think I will start using that from now on. And um, another thing is, I I almost give especially as coaching younger kids, I almost give the, them permission to make an error as long as it's done aggressively. You have my permission to make an error. You can if you go balls to the wall and come get a, a slow roller and you you throw it on balance. I'm okay with that. I'm just not okay if they're you know playing um kind of scared and on their heels but i almost once they have that mindset okay if co- if i make an error it's not the worst thing in the world but as long right. as i'm being aggressive i think it's okay i would i would 100 percent rather a kid go aggressively and make an error than sit back on the ball and the guy beat him out and the guy beat the play uh, i would much for you're gonna you're gonna get a lot more success out of that kid that attacks and, and plays aggressive than the kid that sits back hoping to not make an error. Agree. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to pay dividends in the long run for sure. Um, one thing that I that you know I want to kind of want to ask both of you guys. Um, you know, I'm a pitcher, so I don't know I don't know everything there is to know about infield play. But one thing that you know that I see from time to time is maybe that lack of focus, and it only takes one pitch, one pitch that. Your prep step isn't quite as good as 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 focused as the last one, and and then boom, that's that's that tends to be the one pitch they hit the ball to you. 
what, what what kind of advice would you have to players and coaches about the importance of the pre-pitch process? Coach Butler, you want to take that one first? Yeah, I'll go first. So one thing I've, that I think I read it somewhere or I just finally came to understood is you know how hard it is to ask a somewhere between a 16-year-old and a 22-year-old to be extremely focused for three hours? Very <laughs> hard. They can't do it. I'm 33. I can't do it, you know? So I tell them, hey, at some point, it's basically coming in and out, in and out, in and out of extreme focus. So once it could be when the pitcher toes the rubber or when he comes set uh, on a stretch, you know, okay, now I'm going to get focused and I'm going to be extremely focused for the next eight seconds. All right. And after those eight seconds, I can kick dirt. I can look around. I can see who's in the stands and then boom, I got to, I got to come right back because I can focus for eight seconds. It's extremely hard to focus for three hours, but it's not extremely hard to re- keep repeating focusing for eight seconds when you give your mind that mental break so you know i try not to say too much during the game in between pitches because i know they're that's their mind taking a mental break um now obviously you got to communicate sometimes but hopefully if we do enough in practice you know i don't have to communicate too much because they know where to be they know what to look for in hitters and things like that so i just say hey i need you to focus for eight seconds a hundred times a game you know, if you can do that, we're good. But I don't want to ask them to focus, you know, for three hours because that, that's a lot harder. But if I can come in and out of focusness, I think that's, I think that's uh, the easiest way to do it. Eight seconds of extreme focus and then let your mind relax, take a deep breath, kick dirt, do whatever you got to do, and then get back in it. That's good stuff. Yeah, we, yeah that's, that's really good stuff. It, you know, the catchers, he's got to be – catcher, pitcher's got to be locked in most of the game, but – I totally agree that in infielders and outfielders, we have that space where we can we can go somewhere else and then block right back in. And whether it was you know I was on the field, you know throwing grass in the air, figuring out the wind, or or turn around, you know making face to the outfielder. But once I knew that pitcher was on the rubber, it's go time. It's locked back in and one hundred percent focused. But I do believe that um, that the coach you you nailed it right there. You you have to have that laser focus between five and eight seconds, then you can, your mind can go somewhere else. To, and uh, if anybody knows me, they can attest to me. I get a little spacey sometimes. But when it comes to doing my job, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And that's something we, we would tell the infielders about too, especially in practice. You That three-second fungo you get, focus for that three seconds, and then, um, you know, you can do what you need to do. But And then I guess as we can go into a mechanic of what the pre-pitch movement is. Um, there's so many examples now. Um, about leaving your feet or not leaving your feet, getting some air under your feet where your hands need to be. Um, there's so many variables in that. I, I don't think it's necessary to teach. I think if you tell them, listen, a ball's going to be hit to you at 90 miles an hour, how, how are you going to get to that baseball? Or what's the position you need to get to? And if, and if you tell them to do it, and if a guy leaves his feet or his hands are in front or his hands are you know lower than normal, if whatever position they can get to to get to that baseball, I'm okay with. And that's one thing. I don't want to overcoach on a, on a prep step. I've learned a lot. I, I did some softball infield lessons, and I think softball is a, a faster game. And there's certain things that definitely relate to each other. And one thing was when I taught softball, you know, corner infielders, that ball is coming at you harder than probably baseball. So I taught them how to do prep step, and it, it didn't work as well for them. So – 
So dialing back to knowing your player and how they get ready and how athletic they can be to the ball, I think that plays a main factor. You know, I was a guy that was didn't really get much air under my feet and my hands are just kind of relaxed in front of me. And then I see, you know, there's guys like Dustin Pedroia that get, you know, five feet off the ground and that guy's a gold glove winner. So whatever, whatever it takes that particular person to be in a good position to go to his left, go to his right, go forward, go back, I think that's, that's okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, if you're going to teach it, if you're going to harp on it, I think you need to be able to teach it where the feet come slightly off the ground or the feet don't come off the ground at all. And you got to be able to teach it both ways. And then you give autonomy to your players and say, hey, here's the three or four different ways you can prep step. What works best for you? Um, now, I like my third basins to be a little lower when they end just because – you know, if I got a big righty coming up, the ball's going to get to the third baseman a little quicker. But other than that, and I learned that from, you know, just a few weeks ago to even think about that from a, a Zoom call with Travis Fryman. But I really think that, hey, it's it's got to be a comfort thing. It, it, you know, same thing with hitting. We're not going to all hit the same way. We're not all going to press out the same way. But like Coach said, however you can get to that ball to your left or right, the most efficient way is what works for you. And that's what uh, I think you need to teach. You know, um, you, you got to have a lot of tools in the toolbox when it comes to that. Is Am I going to leave my feet? Am I going to leave my feet high? Am I going to stay on my feet? You know, I was a guy that when I did it, I'll go, I would go one, two, and I'd get on the balls of my feet and like bounce a little bit. And my, my hands would be, you know, middle body athletic. Um, but, you know, I didn't like going one, two and, and not and just stay in there because I, I felt like I get stuck. Um, so I like a little movement for myself, but, you know, I'm not going to tell my third baseman who might not be as athletic as I would. Just, you know, if I got a big third baseman who's playing third or first baseman who's there taking hit bombs, you know, I'm not going to say, hey, you don't, you can, you have to move around, you have to jump. I'm going to try to find whatever the most efficient way for that player. And, and I think that's big for uh, pretty step stuff. Yeah. Pretty and uh and that kind of goes back to what um basically every guest I've had on every podcast so far has gone to is each player needs to be coached a little bit differently in the fact that uh you know his strengths might be a little bit different than somebody else's so we're going to work with that and 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 that's one thing that I think that the newer age coaches actually maybe do better than some of the older age coaches who were maybe more stuck in their ways and Hey, everybody's got to do it like this, and that and that is one thing that I'm glad to see. Uh, some of the uh, new guys uh, doing so. Um, and another thing, Bart, that I that I took from what you said earlier was that uh, the eight seconds of focus, relax, breathe a little bit. Um, that reminds me so much of the uh, movie For the Love of the Game when he talks about clearing the mechanism. That, yeah. that, that's kind of what – and we showed our guys that video this year, and uh, I thought it really helped them. And, and that can go for any position, really. Yeah, for sure, 100%. Great movie, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, I love it. I still haven't seen it. I got to watch it. I can't believe I've never seen it. Yeah, you got to watch like, it, man. Oh, I have to watch it. I got some time quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, the the next thing that we're going to go into um, is just your drills, some of the stuff you do at practice to make sure, like you were saying earlier, both of you were talking about how 
you want to prepare your infielders just like we want to prepare the outfielders and catchers and pitchers for anything that they're going to see in the game, whether it's backhand, forehand, slow roller, and all that kind of stuff. What are some ways that you guys, whether it's drills or how you chart, to make sure that your guys are getting every kind of ground ball, every kind of play that they're possibly going to see in the game? Um. Um, as, as we go through our, our practice routine and our drill work, um, you know, we have it's a three man staff with a, you know, a 40, I say 40 over under man roster, depending on eligibility and things like that. So what I've, what I've come to work is, is kids to get as many reps as possible. I like to work in stations and each station has a limited time because I can't be with every, you know, if we have, you know, 15 infielders, I can't be with every single one during practice. So. What I do is slowly I start off by giving them their drill. I'll show them. I'll talk to them. I'll do it very slowly. I bet probably some guys are, are tired of hearing me talking, but I just want to make sure that they understand what the drill focus is and what needs to be done and what they need to feel like when their drill is, you know, completed. Um, so I, I like to s- split guys up into into groups, whether that be with middle infielders or middle guys, corner guys, or corner guys, or even even a slight mix. But I think that's the most efficient way for guys to get um, the most out of a practice instead of having one coach hitting a fungo, um, hitting a fungo to 15 different guys that gets monotonous, guys get tired. And, and let's face it, we don't want to be out there four hours taking ground balls and, and one guy is getting one, there's a big line. So we do certain drill work and these drills you can do with a partner and we're we're blessed to have two two hack attacks, so we've utilized those as well. But we separate different parts on the field where they can do things, whether it's um, backhand work, whether it's glove glove side work, whether it's routine work, whether it's short hops, whether it's a knee progression. So we give those guys, you know, we give those guys freedom to make sure they're getting the work. And while I go to a certain group that I see may be struggling, so I found that group work or group work and drill sets. Um, work the best and works the most efficient for guys to get the most amount of reps, but the most efficient amount of reps. Yeah, I love station work. Um, now we I have a drill or a hand progression we go through every day. Um, but again, after watching Kai's presentation a few years ago, I, I changed it slightly. So what we'll do is, you know, we'll start on our knees. We'll go one hand, short hop, forehand, oh, straight on forehand, backhand. And we'll do snakes, so we'll just balls that roll. Um, anytime we get on our feet, though, we're, we're going to use our footwork, and we'll do it. We'll do, you know, ten each on our knees, and we're going to get on our feet. And anytime we get on our feet, we're going to work footwork also with it. Um, but once we get on our feet, it's random. So um, when you're on your knees, you know, hey, you're getting ten short hops straight on. You're getting ten forehands. You're getting ten backhands. You're getting ten snakes. Anytime I get a snake, I'm funneling and I'm, and I'm uh, funneling, you know, to the middle of my body, breaking my hands. Anytime I get a short hop, I'm fielding through. Now, when it gets, um, when it gets, when we get on our feet, it, the, their partner is completely random. I do not want to see it, you know, the same thing over and over and over. Right? I don't want ten short hops right in front of them. I want it random. They know if anything above their waist, they got to go thumb down. All right, anything. Um, below their waist, they go thumb up. Um, th- that's how we start. And then whatever our focus is that day will will depend on what drills we do. 
Um, and then we usually do finish up now. Obviously, I'm I'm lucky. You know, it's it's gonna be me and one other, two other guys. You know, we got we got a huge staff at Central. Um, that when we hit fungos, you know, I'm gonna take two guy two positions, and the other guys gonna take two positions. But we're gonna. It depends. A lot of depends on what our focus is. Are we gonna work on one legged throws that day? We have a drill series for that. Um, we gonna work forehands, backhands, just all that. It, a lot of it just depends on what our focus is that day. Now, my all time favorite drill. Again, I stole it from Kai. And I found uh, a few years ago, I found this really, really old ATEC machine, the old two wheel, like leather machine hmm. that I remember having when I was eight years old in, in the very back of our store shed. And I was like, sure, this thing didn't work. Plugged it in, it works, right? So I'll get two machines, I'll stack them. I'll get that machine, I'll get a junior hack, and I'll put them on the ground right beside each other. And the junior hack is shooting a bullet. He's shooting a bullet. And the other little ATEC machine is shooting a slow roller. So I hold both balls up and I drop both of them at the same time, but only put one in the machine and they, and the builder has to react. And it's from a pretty close distance. You know, I'm probably five feet in the grass and they're at their regular position. And, um, man, our, I think our kids love it. It's, like I said, it's my favorite drill that we do. And it's just a reaction drill to make sure one, it's not boring and they're working a lot of different skills. Oh, that's that's really good right there. Because one one thing you do see uh, with with kids is if if it's the same thing over and over and over, they kind of start cheating the drill. And uh, oh yeah, and th- and then that's that right there is way way more game like than you know just right. a regular ground ball. So that's good stuff right there. Uh, James, do you have anything to add? I like how Coach Butler meant to focus for practice, or you know, I, I kind of learned this, you know. Um, when I was in college, you know, I switched between majors, but I was a phys ed major probably for two two semesters. But we learned about le- like lesson plans and objectives. So I kind of brought that into the coaching realm. And you know, every practice um, we have an objective. What are we What are we going to get out of today? What are we going to master today? So if it's backhand work, there's going to be drills set for you know different ways to come through a backhand and different routes to take. Um, I do that with the hitters as well, that we have an objective today, and by the end of this, we want to get a, a grasp of what that really should be or what that really should feel like. And as far as my favorite drills go, anything on the run, man. I love anything that a guy has to go on the run. We do that in our our, our, um, our throwing program. We also – I love shooting, you know, a nice little one hop to a third baseman where he, got, he has to really come get it, like a little soft hop. He's got to come get it catch it on his left foot and get rid of it on his right foot. I think that's, it's a simple drill, but I think that's most effective. And the guys, they guys have fun doing it too. Yeah. And, um, speaking on the objective thing, I really like how you brought that this year. It it kind of, uh, showed me, um, you know, that you can have a different objective for every practice and it's way less, less monotonous, uh, the guys enjoy it. Hey, I know Coach wants us to get better at this today. Coach wants us to get better at that today. A- instead of just going out there and, hey, we're going to take 100 ground balls today with no purpose. Uh, so I think it kind of gives the guys a purpose, but it also makes sure that, um, you know, that things aren't getting boring or, or old to them. You're, you're doing something a little different every day that, that that's going to help them. And then uh, charting-wise, man, I I've, I know you said something about that. Um, when I first started, got up with the varsity, my my best friend, who's a scout for the Padres now, 
um, was the infield coach at Kennesaw State. And, uh, man, he sent me his chart, and I'm going to try to share it so y'all can see it. And um, and then uh, – I think you actually emailed it to me last summer. We we used a little yeah. bit of it this year, actually, didn't, didn't you, James? Uh, are y'all yeah, we did. Chart? We did, yep. Yep. Yeah, so, man, and if anybody out there wants it, just, just shoot me a email or something. I'll get you my information. But I'll, the reason why I like this chart so much was the fact that I can see after a week or so, I can see exactly what my guy needs to work on. So in the pre-practice stuff, you know, like when we're doing those, you know, everyday drills where we're on our knees, I might take that guy to the side and say, man, you're not going to do this today. Let's work on this three backhand that you that you've booted you know three out of the last four times you know i can see the throw locations where where is this guy's throw where is he missing and you know and i just think that um that that really really helped us and i see what it really helped us because y'all don't have to deal with it in um in college as much but we got to deal with it in high school if a player or a player's parent ever wanted to say hey why aren't my kid playing i just pull the chart out and say hey you know, this is where 80% of the plays are made at this position, and this is a fielding percentage at that play, and I can't. So, but it, it's a lot It's a lot better, I think, for your players when they know, hey, here's what I need to work on, and here's why I'm playing or here's why I'm not playing. But that, that's that been a big help for me um, since I started using it. And, uh, so, and to add to that, like um... – Basically, for those of you who couldn't see his chart, you know, it had all the different type of ground balls that you could possibly have. And he either had and, – and you can do it whether if you have a manager or an assistant coach who needs something to do, they can chart it. Or one of the things that, you know, that, that I want to do going forward is film practice and then I can go back and, and chart it after because what it does, it, it gives the player and yourself, like he was saying um, – Hey, he needs to work on this because sometimes there can be so much work going on at practice you don't you don't really um comprehend everything that goes on that and you can't remember it all and and we both we all three know that that sometimes players kind of have a false sense of how good they are and um this chart allows them to see, hey man, I, I'm really bad on my backhand right now. Or hey, you know, every time I get a slow roller, I'm my throws are way off. So this chart allows you and the player, in my opinion, to see what 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 that individual player uh, needs to work on and needs to get better at, and it, it allows you as a coach to formulate a plan to to do so. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, <clears throat> the time we, the only time we really did use charts this year was during our scrimmages. Um, I don't. I don't want to get too into depth with the charts because sometimes I feel like the more attention needs to be directed to the player than the chart. But I definitely love the chart as, as a scrimmage. Um, you know, being being a coach with fifteen guys, I want to. I want to get the most out of their time with me being there. But I, I definitely think I need to get better at charting things as as the years come on. That's something that that I, I lacked at, and I definitely need to improve in. And if, they, and if guys are competitive, they're, they're going to want to see what they, they did right or they did wrong because they, they want to better themselves. So I think charting is, is great, and I'm definitely going to have to do a better job next year. And, and, and it goes back to, you know, some staffs may not have the, a manager or the amount of coaches that other staffs have, and, that, and that's where you kind of have to get creative and 
whether it's getting a PO to chart for you or or to get a um to to set up a camera and then you go back and take time out of your day to to do it. I I definitely could see the benefit in the long run of using those kind of charts. Uh, Coach uh, Butler, would you say that, uh, I want to add to that, would you say that since you've started using that chart uh, and you've started making those plans for your infielders, would you say that, you know, you've seen some success with it? Oh, yeah, you're definitely going to see a, a, a change in it just because you know exactly what to work on. And, and, and you get more buy-in from the players because they know, hey, this is tailored to me, you know, if, if if you don't have some way to do that, you know, I'm not saying you have to chart every ground ball. When I first, the first year I did that, we were blessed. We had three managers. So I literally said, you have second, you have short, you have third. And they followed them all game <laughs> or all practice and literally charted every ground ball they got. Um, now, we weren't, you know, as lucky last few years as that, but that first year was great. And I could say, hey, man, we got we got early work today. Um let's go work on just this drill. You know, let's, let's go work on this backhand or let's go work on this forehand. Um, and then, you know, throwing's a, a little, a, a little different when you see the, the throwing errors, but you can say, Hey, you're missing high glove side high, you know, then I'm probably throwing from, from down under with, with a tight elbow and I'm pushing that ball. You know, that's why I'm missing arm side high. All right. Or if I'm spiking everything, you know, a spike and everything, maybe I need to work on release point. So it just gives the players, and it gives you an idea of, hey, I got this um, uh, this specific amount of time that I can work with them. And um, now, like I said, I was lucky to have managers, but the guy that sent it to me, they didn't have as many, but he did a lot like y'all would do. He would, they filmed practice, and he would go back after practice and watch the film and chart each one like that. So, Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff, man. Coach Donnie, you got anything to add to that one? Uh, yeah, and and I also I took a chart. Um, I, I gave it to the freshman infielders. I made you know a little chart for to give them something to do during the varsity games because you know we've had we have older guys that deserve their their playing time and and rightfully so. But I gave them some where they need to they need to go through their mind what type of play it was. They had a chart. How many bounces it was till he got to to the to the fielder? Was it on the run? Did he catch it glove side? Did he catch it backhand? Was his throw accurate? And then I left a little comment section to see how those those younger guys they think about you know how to how to go and to see them write about what what the player specifically did. I think that that was good and it also kept them engaged into the game because you know. Some of those guys, it's their first time, you know, being on the bench. So giving them something to do while the game's going on, I think that helped out a lot. So they can lock in the game just like the the infielders were during the actual game. For sure, and I think it um, definitely is going to help them grow mentally and be more mentally prepared when they when they do get their chance. Um, the other thing that you know. I want to talk about, and I don't know if either one of you got a chance to listen to the catching podcast that I did the other day, but one of the things that's starting to be big in baseball, and I know Coach Donahue, you've done some of these are these case studies, kind of, you know, percentage-wise, what what each position is getting, you know, and, and like, like I said the other day, I think catchers, they've determined that 
65 to 70% of catching is receiving. And that's, so that's what we work on the most in practice. And I know that I've seen some charts of what, what infield, what ground balls each position gets the most. Do either one of y'all look at that kind of data and base your practice plans off that at all? Uh, I just started looking at it, so I hadn't had time to like do practice plans. Um, I'm gonna tailor it a little bit just because I think you know we, the most thing you're gonna get are major league numbers. Right. Um, and I think uh, the high school numbers are gonna be slightly different, but not much. So, well, I'm definitely gonna look into that, especially at like the corner infielders. Like, I think I saw where you know the third base play, the play in the hole, the play in, in the five hole. Um. You know, that's like 60-something percent of your plays. But, you know, when we hit fungos, we're just boom, 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 right to them, right to them, right yeah. to them. That's, that's a very small percentage of a third baseman's play, uh, um, plays that they make. So, yeah, that's definitely something I'm going to look into and start adding. Um, just because, of, like anything, man, you need to practice what you're going to what you're gonna get. So, if I only spend – if I only spend 20% of my practice time on a play that happens 65% of the time in the game, then it's my fault, really, that kid didn't make that play. You know, He has some blame, but it's more on me that I didn't prepare him. That's our job, I feel, as coaches is to, to everything that you can find, like those numbers, is put it into your practice plan and prepare your kids to succeed. Um, and then it's all on them after they're prepared. That's good stuff. Yeah, anything, James? Um, yeah, I actually did. I did one study on DJ Lemayo. I thought it would be an interesting study because you find him playing third, playing second, and then playing, you know, first base. What I found really neat was how one-handedness the corner guys were, and and they were so comfortable catching the ball with just their glove. And then you go to second base, you look at his numbers, and then most of most everything was you know, fielded out in front with two hands. And I took a little percentage of that because I even saw DJ LeMay go down to one knee, like a, almost like a safety stop to make a play. So I kind of kind of tailored that to what our corner guys are going to do at practice, and especially the, the first baseman. Sometimes I don't even want their right hands to be anywhere near their gloves, so I tell them to put it behind their back and just get comfortable with that hot shot and just, just kind of picking it like a, you know, like a hockey goalie. I think that has helped. I think that's something I want to do more of those case studies. I thought it was just, I mean, these guys on Twitter, like Tucker and Kai, and these guys, these guys do some awesome, awesome charts. So I, I kind of did one of my own, and I thought DJ LeMahieu would be really interesting to see how what his tendencies were from all the three different positions. And then I remember totally our, one of our first basemen, I told him about that. He thought that, you know, that was really interesting. He's like, Oh, kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's something cool. And I, I baseball is definitely in a, a great place. Like right now with the kind of the metrics and how people are planning practice around that. Yeah, for sure. I, I believe it is very important to understand, you know, uh, you know, like uh, Coach Butler said, high school numbers are going to be a little bit, and, and so are college numbers are going to be a little bit different than the big leaguers because the big leaguers have a probably a little bit different of an offensive approach than the guys that we're going to be coaching. But, um, you know, the numbers still say, probably would stay somewhat the same. So 
it's very important to practice, you know, what's actually going to happen in the game, not just what we've always done. And, and that's one thing that I'm really glad to see baseball is is kind of going to. They're kind of going to a more of a football-style practice in the last 10 years, and I really think it's it's helping grow our game. Um, just the last thing I want to talk to you guys about, you know, any advice you have for infield coaches, whether they're youth, high school, college, and any infield, like any youth college or high school infielders that you want to talk about, whether it's, you know, understanding the speed of the game or whatever you want to talk about, uh, uh, I'm going to open the floor to you guys. Um, yeah, I, I, I do have a lot of advice and, um, I, I, any kind of athlete, I, I'd like to, even a coach and a player, you have to under you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to challenge yourself. You have to challenge your players because that's the only way you are going to get better. Um, really, really, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to learn new things. So I think that's very important too. And I think, um, there's a gear that, a player needs to unleash and it's it's the job of the coach to kind of help that yeah a player might have a fourth and fifth gear but there's another level of player or another level of athlete now it could be a huge jump or it could be you know just a minor jump but there's a gear that they can go full speed every time you know a ball sit to them there's a gear that they can go back and die for a ball and it's the job of the coach to kind of bring that out of them by giving the them different things to work on and, and accessing different skill sets. Um, and another thing for any 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 young young kid out there, work work hard. You know that's that's some goes back to you know mom used to tell you in fifth grade, make sure you work hard. But that's the the underlying factor. You, you gotta you gotta be able to work hard. You gotta you gotta sweat a little bit. You gotta be able to dive. Um, and and being in one thing I learned from Coach Mims at Burton Community College. You, you know, ultimately helped me become the defender I was, was taking taking really good reps during batting practice, your live reads off the bat. I remember diving in batting practice and, you know, players would say, what is this kid crazy? And then Coach Trim said, no, that's the only time you're really going to, you know, you know, dive and get an understanding of a read off a bat. And, you know, in practice, you might not dive as much, but live read off the bat, you're going to have to know your limits on your dive. So that's one thing. I think coaches should stress a little more. I'm not saying to, you know, start going and running a fence. I don't want anybody getting hurt, but those, those safe dives you have to make, those slide dives you need to make. I think, I think coaches should, should commend that when it's done. And I'm not, and again, I don't want anybody getting hurt. I don't, I don't want anybody diving into a fence or, you know, breaking a wrist, but I think those, those, those dives need to be, to be done a little more, especially in practice. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. I think the biggest thing for coaches, whether you're a first-year coach or you've been in it, um, I've been lucky to be around some great coaches. Is, and you you got to continue to learn and continue to try to search for information. Now, it doesn't mean you got to keep everything that you hear, you know, but you need to – there's no excuse in today's age um, that you, you're not continually to grow your your knowledge of whatever it is, um, infield especially. I mean, you got guys like – Tucker Frawley, Kai Carrera, uh, Brett Birdsong, who runs at Expand Routines, a great one, uh, Tyler Gillum, um, Clay Cox. All these guys put out uh, really, really good infield stuff all the time. Um, so from an infield perspective, like as long as you got a Twitter or the Internet, which everybody, most everybody does now, 
you can learn something and you can make your players better. Uh, I'm a big believer in practice every play that might be made. Now, does that mean spend, you know, uh, um, 30 minutes on, on a play that doesn't happen very often? No, but it, you need to go over it. And, and one thing we didn't cover that, that I've learned lately that gets neglected in, um, info practice all the time is fly balls. And, uh, I, so make sure we practice that. I'll tell y'all a quick story about that. We're in a tied game with Auburn High School. Winner wins the area. Um, it is, uh, it is the bottom of the seventh. There's two outs. And, and I will be honest, I'll take some blame on this. We didn't work on, work on it as much as we needed to. They got a guy on second. Guy hits a fly ball between first and second. They both call it. And what happens when both people call the ball? They both look at each Nobody other. Nobody gets it. <laughs> no one it lands it. right in between them. Two outs. The guy's going on contact, slides in, we lose area. Um, and, and if we didn't have a great week the week before and sw- the, the other team we played in our area, we, we'd have missed the playoffs because of something like that. And it goes back to us not practicing a play that's going to happen. So continue to learn. Reach out. Because there, here's what I've also learned about baseball coaches is – if you pick up the phone and call them, I've yet to call somebody. Like, no, nah, I'm not going to tell you that. No, nah, I don't want to talk to you. Man, we, we love to call. We love to <laughs> yeah. game. We love to learn. So, I mean, my wife even's like, did you on another Zoom call? I'm like, yeah. You know, so I've been doing a lot of them since uh, we've been in this break. So, and reach out to people. Learn as much as you can. Keep the game fun. So, so always challenge your guys. And that's, and a lot of people, when you say keep the game fun, is they, they think, you know, you got to get, like, super creative. Just challenge your players. Challenge them with something um, a little bit harder than, than they think they can do. Um, and, again, continue to learn. If you can do all that, man, you're well on your way. Um, but if you want to look up those guys I mentioned, you know, follow them. They put out great stuff. So that, that would be my advice to any coach. For sure. And, and the biggest takeaways that I have from what both of you guys just said is, uh, you know, don't th- ever think that you have it all figured out as a coach. Always be looking for more information. But like you said, you don't have to take all of it. But it- it's good to see information and, and get information. And-, and if you feel like it's going to help your team and implement it in some way, sh- shape, or form. And-, and the second thing that I took away from you guys is just prepare prepare your guys in a way that they're going to be able to go out there and play free in the game and be a- just be an athlete. You know, a lot, a lot of being an infielder is just, you know, at the end of the day, being an athlete and not overthinking things and uh, speeding the game up too much. So, and that's one thing that, um, you know, if if I if I had to give a any coaching advice about anything is just allow your and I say this every week, but it's just a simple, solid message: allow your players to play free, um, explain to them, and prepare them uh, for everything and. And they're going to play free fun and have fun and be athletic. And, and that's going to be uh, when you get uh, the best performances out of them. Um, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Love it. Good stuff. But uh, I want to thank you guys for joining. And I had a great time. I know that um, all of our listeners who are passionate about learning about infield play 
are going to like this. I know I learned a lot. Um, and that, and that's really why I started the podcast, not, not to teach anybody else about baseball, but so I could talk to other coaches and I could learn about more about baseball because I had that driving passion to always learn. And, and I want guys like that, um, on our podcast. And I know both of you guys are just from being around you and, uh, I appreciate both of you coming on. Hey, man, thanks for having us. I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Coach. I also appreciate it, man. It was awesome. Coach, it's nice meeting you too, Coach nice Butler. Nice meeting you, Coach. We'll, we'll definitely catch up. Stop some more. Yes, sir. yes, sir. Once again, I just want to thank Coach Bart Butler and Coach James Donahue for joining me today. And uh, Those two guys are obviously very passionate about infield play and, and helping grow our game and uh, – you know, they're doing a great job of that, and I'm glad that uh, they're both in this profession. And I'm glad that I was on this call today because I got better as a coach, and hopefully you will too as a player, as a coach, whatever, by listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.